1: Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And it is a sad week in the sports media world. One of the true greats, Vin Scully, died Tuesday at age 94. From my perspective as a podcaster who's always worked with a co-host, I was in awe of Scully's ability to broadcast games solo and rarely run out of interesting things to say, although He also understood the value of shutting up and letting the action speak for itself sometimes, a lesson many play-by-play announcers would benefit from. Uh, When I think of Scully, the first thing I think of is the Kirk Gibson homer, maybe the most dramatic at-bat I've ever seen and certainly the most effective storytelling I've ever seen accompany an at-bat. John, I imagine you have a few Vin Scully thoughts and recollections you'd like to share.
0: Yeah, well, both Scully and my father were Irishmen and Brooklyn Natives, although Vin grew up in Manhattan. Uh, Scully, and my oldest brother, also both graduated from Fordham Prep. <laughs> you know, Vin started broadcasting Brooklyn Dodgers games in 1950, four years after my parents got married in Brooklyn and a year after that brother was born there. So, yeah, we had a little bit in common. Um Interesting to me, there are two particular aspects of Scully's style that are best remembered. One you mentioned is the way he just disappeared right after a big moment. You're watching the game, you're joyous, you're devastated, maybe you're just fascinated. But regardless, you know what just happened and you just want to mm-hmm. soak it all in. There's no need for any broadcaster to state the obvious. And the other aspect was his encyclopedic knowledge, which you sort of referenced too, of details about every batter and every pitcher and his ability to weave these details into anecdotes with each bat. And like most people, I enjoy his style let me throw you a curveball eric okay one of my closest friends on this earth who passed away last fall hated scully with the heat of a thousand suns <laughs> i'm not talking about okay sure but he's a little overrated isn't he no no, no. he despised him <laughs> his chief complaint was those anecdotes which he found incredibly tiresome he said if he ran into a guy like scully at a cocktail party within a few minutes he'd be running screaming from the room <laughs> now you must be thinking this guy must have been miserable to work with right so hateful is he fact is i never met a kinder or gentler person ever and anyone who ever worked with him would agree he had this mellifluous calm voice and a tender spirit he could write a story about a high school game or a match in a way that never left any kid reading it feeling like a victim or a villain so what's the takeaway there for me it's just you do you i didn't really get it although truth be told after he planted the idea in my mind i did start to listen a little more closely and sure enough while many of his stories were legendary Mr. and Mrs. Bumgarner, a rattlesnake and a baby (laughs) jackrabbit must be easy to find on YouTube, by the way. Um, Okay, there were times where a story was something like how the player's father once got an autograph from an old timer. And there's no kicker, as we call punchlines. Um, Finally, I never asked him if he felt free to go on this rather unpopular rant with all his friends. I'd like to think that he didn't because he might get a lot of blowback. But I was always just fascinated to see him getting to lather up on the topic of Vince Scully. It was just him being him.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, what I would take away from that is it's a nice reminder that nobody has a unanimous approval <laughs> rating. Because uh, I've actually heard that phrase thrown around this week with regard yes. to Vince Scully. Oh, he was yeah. the closest we can come to a unanimous approval <laughs> yeah, rating. Maybe, <laughs> but he st- it still wasn't unanimous. I, yep. One of my best friends hated John Madden as a broadcaster. Okay, and, okay. and when he first told me that, I was like, what? How can anyone <laughs> hate John? <laughs> a lot yeah. of people hated John Madden too, yeah. I'm sure. So yeah. I, one other thing that really stands out to me about Vince Scully is the sound of his voice was just different. You know, a, a lot of these deeper voice guys are interchangeable, but you knew it was Vin Scully when the first word came out. And, and his voice is, for me, the soundtrack of old school baseball. I guess I also have like Harry Callis. He's the soundtrack of old school Phillies for me. But Scully is the soundtrack of the rest of baseball it's a little like hearing Don Dunphy's voice and it immediately screams old black and white fights. Um, And and Dunphy was actually another guy who, when you watch those old fights, sometimes he's silent for 30 seconds straight. You're just watching the punches and hearing the crowd, which is fine because it's TV. It's not radio. You can see what's happening. Um, I don't want to quite call that a lost art because you still get it sometimes with your two man booths on local baseball broadcasts that they'll lay out for a while, but Good Lord, the number of announcers out there who think they need to fill every single second of dead air. It drives me nuts. Anyway, uh, kind of the end of an era, I'd say, with with Vin Scully gone. But at least uh, the YouTube clips live forever.
0: Yeah. And actually, uh, Vin, I think it was the 70s and 80s. He was a good NFL announcer, too. Mm. And same kind of thing. He had all the facts at his hand and uh, laid them out <laughs> and uh, he could shut up when he needed to. So um, he could probably do any sport he could have done them anyway. But But uh, yeah, you know, it was interesting uh, before the Giants Dodgers game in San Francisco uh, last night, they uh, played a, uh, a clip of him saying, you know, the fact is that uh, I needed you the audience more than you needed me. And hmm. he definitely believed that. And, you know, there was some reference in the booth of like, no, you, you got that. That's the one thing you got wrong right, right there. We need you more than you needed us. Right.
1: Well, uh, on that note, I, I should say that uh, perhaps we need the uh, Gamble On listeners maybe more than they need us. Uh, yeah, so uh, exactly. thank you to all of them for joining us for episode number 203 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 202 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. And in honor of Vin Scully. I'll now lay out and shut up and let the rest of the podcast speak for
0: itself. <laughs> yeah. Coming up a little later on the show, we'll be joined by underdog communications director, Nick Rudman, whose company is known for its increasingly popular best ball fantasy offerings. We'll ask Nick about underdogs growth, its customer profile, and its plans to become a sports betting operator. But first, it's been a typically busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your gamble on news of the week. An inside look at the biggest stories in the world
1: of gambling. There is no question whatsoever what the biggest news story has been this week in the sports gambling world. Massachusetts is on the verge of becoming the latest state to legalize sports betting as a bill advanced out of the state House and Senate early Monday morning just as the legislative session was ending, and a signature from Governor Charlie Baker is considered a formality. It was a surprise to many that Massachusetts, the state that is home to DraftKings and is also home to casinos and rabid sports fans, took anywhere near this long. but better late than never, and the bill looks mostly reasonable. There will be 15 mobile licenses available, by far the most of any New England state. The tax rate will be 20% for online and 15% for retail. The two details that are unpopular among some in the industry first, Massachusetts becomes the seventh state to include a mandate for sports books to pay for official league data. And second, there is no betting on in state college teams, except there's a carve out for when those teams are involved in tournaments with more than four schools. As far as the timeline, the governor has until next Thursday to sign the bill. And then there is optimism that Massachusetts was well prepared for this and can get up and running quickly possibly by october or november john i don't know about you but i was slightly caught off guard by this news monday morning i'd kind of given up on massachusetts for this year as one of those states that just couldn't get its act together guess i was wrong uh what do you make of the details and go ahead and set a line for the launch date and i'll go over or under
0: all right. I'll reiterate my apology to residents of yet another state that copied New Jersey's no betting on in-state college <laughs> games without lawmakers. These other states grasping, in New Jersey had a good and unique reason to go that route, as I've explained before. Meanwhile, the only betting on March Madness, basically, is a salvage for the most casual of gamblers who would only bet on those Boston College tournament games anyway, for example. Uh, but obviously, there are plenty of major gamblers in the Boston area who will just continue to ply their trade with the illegal offshore sports books. So that's pretty short-sighted. But um, now the mandated payment for official league data, it's pretty offensive philosophically, I agree. But I haven't yet heard any horror stories from the other states, so I'm not going to lose sleep on that just yet. And I'll go November 1st for the launch.
1: Mm, Okay. Uh, Interesting date. Uh, I looked up the Patriots schedule. I figured that that might be relevant here. And I saw that uh, they're home against the Colts, a rival of sorts, at least uh, during the Brady Manning era. Um, They're home against the Colts on November 6th. Then they have their bye week. Then they're home against the Jets, November 20th. (laughs) Uh, So I could see a push to get betting going by November 6th, right around the date you just said, I could definitely see it happening by November 20th uh, for that home game against the Jets. Um, so I'll go, if I say over, does that mean later? I, I always, <laughs> uh, you know, sooner, later, over, under, but I'll go later than November 1st, but mm. but not by much. And, and, and you might nail it exactly, even if they're trying to get it all up and running like a week or so before that Colts game. Um, it's sad to me how many people say We have to protect the student athletes, no betting on their games in state. And you just can't get through to them that the betting is happening anyway. And the student athletes are more protected if it's all regulated. We, We heard that all once again, a few days ago from Massachusetts state Senate president, Karen Spilka. Um, But, you know, as you've said many times about this, John, sometimes you give an inch on something like this to get the bill passed and you can hope to come back later and revise the rule. Although so far that hasn't worked in New Jersey. They tried to revise the rule and it it didn't happen yet. And uh, by the way, as further proof of how little politicians sometimes understand about sports betting, One state senator said right after they uh, moved this bill along to the governor that he thought maybe they could launch in time for the start of football season, which uh, would mean getting it all up and running in a month, which is flat out impossible if you've paid any attention to how this works. (laughs) Um, It's funny how uh, Connecticut, Maine, New Hampshire and Rhode Island have uh, a total of 10 mobile operators combined among the four states. Uh, So Massachusetts definitely is breaking up what had been a pattern in New England of offering uh, betters very few options that stands out about their, their 15 sites. And the last thing I'll note is that Massachusetts has a strong responsible gambling infrastructure in place already, and that some of the sports betting funds are being earmarked to keep funding it. So that's good.
0: Yeah, I think Massachusetts is going to be number one in terms of funding uh, uh, responsible gambling initiatives. And, uh, you know, just like uh, so many states like Massachusetts, unfortunately, copy New Jersey on a dumb in-state college betting ban. Yeah. Um other states, hopefully, that are coming aboard, especially the big ones, maybe will copy Massachusetts's efforts here. I mean, it's kind of hard to say out of the billions of dollars in the industry that, well, we can't spare another half a million for, you know, helping compulsive gamblers, you know, a not and and it's not just like, oh, well, there were none before. And now they're going to be because we legalized and now we're responsible to pay. They should have been putting funding up. Beforehand, and a lot of money up beforehand because there's already compulsive gamblers who are losing their mortgage, losing their families, and everything else. That's just a fact. And legalize it, don't legalize it. It's still a problem. It still should be funded like every other addiction is in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully, then that way, Massachusetts can lead here.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Uh, All right. For our second story, let's talk lottery. Uh, As one does when the second largest prize ever won by a single U.S. lottery player is awarded. The Mega Million jackpot swelled to nearly $1.34 billion out of last Friday night's drawing. And one ticket had all six numbers correct. And all we know about the winner is that he or she bought the ticket at a Speedway gas station in De Plain, Illinois. As of our recording, nobody had come forward with the ticket yet. But the winner has a full year to claim the prize and to decide if they want one lump sum of 780 million dollars before taxes or annual payments averaging about 46 million dollars a year for 29 years Uh, john you like to cite the observation that the lottery is a tax on people who are bad at math Uh, but one person who is bad at math just became a billionaire more or less Uh, thoughts on the mega millions on the possibility of the winner not realizing they won And did you break down and buy a ticket like so many other lottery casuals did last week?
0: Well, first of all, it's about a 1% chance that people take the annual payment route, the Bobby Bonilla route, which is actually the smart one. um, Because then the first year you get 46 million, you blow it and like, two months, right? And then, oh my God, wait, don't panic. Just hang around. You know, you, right. you probably got a piece of real estate, a new car, something that you can, that's tangible. You'll get to get you through the last 10 months. And the second year you blow through it in like, you know, nine months. And so now you almost made it through <laughs> the whole year. And by the fifth year, you're not even spending it all. You're actually putting some in the bank and all that. But again, that's a 1% chance. People, people who play a lottery are not going to do that. They're going to take the lump sum and blow it all as quickly as they can. <laughs> but, you know, other people ask me what you did about, oh, did you play? And my reply is the same as after, my visit to every casino and racetrack practically of the last four years, which is dozens and dozens. Yeah. I broke even again. (laughs) I actually covered the New Jersey lottery for a stretch about 20 years ago. And as i had gotten used to, even by then, I am not destined to ever cover a boring beat. So a spate of New Jersey winners of 300 million or more followed quickly. Now, one guy was a retired haberdasher who was pushed aside by his employer and a couple of young guys took a shine to him with their new company, and he dabbled in consulting for them, even though he didn't really need the money. Let's just say they got very, very lucky. Hmm. So one other thing on that one, the reporter asked if he could set to be a millionaire. And he said, no, I never really thought much about it, but he did own his home free and clear in North Jersey, which is, uh, you know, that's over half a million. And he had savings, investment and a pension. So, yeah, I guess I am, he said. That ticked off a lot of lottery players, which I found a little bit weird.
1: Hmm, Interesting. Um, I am not at all surprised uh, by your answer as to whether or not you (laughs) bought a lottery ticket. Um, (laughs) I've never bought a lottery ticket in my life other than once going in on an office group purchase. But that was more to be social and a member of polite society. Uh, But uh, boy, oh, boy, the number of people I know who almost never buy lottery tickets. And then last week were like uh, I spent $50 this week on lottery tickets. <laughs> um, you know, you tease that possibility of a billion dollars and people just kind of stop being logical. Um, mm. But then again, I do the same thing every week of football season in DFS. I I look at the top prize of the $3 buy-in DraftKings tournament. And I <laughs> think that one of my seven lineups is going to be the one that wins a hundred thousand dollars, even though clearly it never will be. Um, the difference of course, is that there's, Some fun and some challenge in trying with DFS in strategizing and building your lineups. I don't see any fun or challenge in buying lottery tickets, but you know, to each their own, I suppose. But yeah, that's about all I have to say about this. There's only so much analysis I can offer on something that's all about pure luck and random numbers. Well,
0: I will confess to one thing in that period about 20 years ago, New York was considering joining Mega Millions, I think, or the other one whatever. Powerball. Powerball. There you go. Right. And um, so I went to four different spots on the New Jersey, New York border to check in and see what the owners thought of, you know, the possibility that these customers they had, you know, a mile or two away in New York uh, would stop coming in because they could just do it, uh, you know, next door. And first of all, all of the shop owners had the same last name, and none of them were related, which I thought was interesting. And the other is I did buy my one ever lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. And I got home that night or the next night. And, you know, 11pm The local news, they have the they're going to read the numbers out. And I had the ticket in front of me. And I'm looking at the I'm looking at the screen, they're reading off the numbers, I'm looking at my numbers. And of course, none of my numbers matched. <laughs> and I thought, I'm such an imbecile and I spent about a buck or two bucks. I never bought again. I don't know how people keep doing it week after week after week. It's just like, it's just not good. Blind
1: faith. Uh, Yeah, I guess. It's not a reason reason to believe. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Our third and final story this week is a sports story to which we'll apply a gambling perspective. The major league baseball trade deadline arrived on Tuesday. And as usual, There was a lot of activity, and in a few cases, it shook up some futures odds. Uh, First, a note about someone who wasn't traded. Shohei Otani stayed put, so the AL MVP race remains unchanged, although Aaron Judge has been pulling away odds-wise over the past week or two. The biggest trade was Juan Soto going from the Nationals to the Padres. And along with several other moves San Diego made, they went from 30 to 1 to 10 to 1 to win the World Series, and from about 13 to 1 to about 5 to 1 to win the NL pennant. The Yankees and Astros both made some moves and saw their odds, which were already among the very shortest, shrink ever so slightly. The Mariners and Twins made slight improvements uh, from long shots to medium shots, while the Rays, Giants, Red Sox, and Orioles all saw their odds grow longer at the trade deadline. On a somewhat similar note, a different sort of roster news impacting odds. In the NFL this week, the Deshaun Watson suspension news slightly shortened the Browns' futures odds, as a six-game suspension is on the lighter end of the range of expected outcomes. So comment on Watson and the Browns if you wish, John, but the main topic here is MLB. Any odds movements catching your eye? What do you think of the Soto trade, and is there any team whose World Series odds you like right now?
0: Yeah, I never did go down the Watson News rabbit hole beyond the headlines, and which is enough to suggest to me that he might benefit from some or maybe more time lying on a psychiatrist's couch to get to go to the bottom of something, because mm. I don't know what's going on there. Um, as for baseball, the only addition to Mets Soto is the Mets 2020 debut of Jacob DeGrom mm-hmm. after being sidelined for more than a year. He had 100 and 102 with his third and fourth pitches and threw five pretty effortless innings of one-run ball. His shit-eating grin in the dugout after that told me, all well, I need to know that that rotation is terrifying, frankly, for the postseason. Um, these are just hunches, of course, but I don't love the Padres starting pitching at all. It feels like a bunch of random stars tossed together last minute. Mercenary, kind of, I don't know. I mean, so does that first ballot Hall of Famer, but I don't like it. On the sleeper side, I kind of like the Mariners and what feels like a more coherent strategy of team building and fine with the Yankees. You know, they put Luis Severino on the 60-day IL, which means he can't come back until mid-September, which presumably means he's out of the starting rotation for the postseason. And he's publicly gone griping about how he's almost ready to go and he can't believe what happened. Mm -hmm. And they traded Jordan Montgomery and teammate uh, Jamison Tyone has said that's his best bestie. They go for coffee and donuts or whatever. I don't know. And uh, Tyone is going to be a... a Groomsman mm-hmm. in Montgomery's wedding this fall. And like, mm-hmm. he's going to miss him. That team had everything going for it. It wasn't broke. I don't know if they All fixed right. anything.
1: Hmm. Um, I guess I'll uh, push back on just the very minor note of uh, yeah. Juan Soto as first ballot hall of famer. I'll say on a first ballot hall of fame trajectory, but what's he like yes. 23 or 24. Uh, if he, if, if something goes awry, it's a little too early to call him a first ballot. Well,
0: you famer. need, you need, Ten years at this rate, and he's got right. about four or five already. So yeah, right. he's yeah. on definitely on, on his way.
1: Yes, yeah, and right. frankly,
0: if he is only good for the next twelve years, he'll make it. Maybe not first ballot, but yeah, right. he's on the right.
1: Okay, um, so yeah, looking at the various World Series odds, I wouldn't bet on any of the short money options right yeah. now. Um, I don't know that there's value in the Dodgers at plus three eighty, the Yankees mm-hmm. four twenty five, Astros four fifty. The first one that, that looks kind of appealing might be the Met your Mets uh, plus 700 was the highest price I saw. Mm-hmm. And for the reason you said that rotation could be real scary um, Padres at plus 1100, it starts to get interesting in that range. But if I had to bet someone right now, I would sooner bet 20 bucks on a long shot just because the baseball playoffs are such mm-hmm. a crapshoot of which bats get hot at the right time, who has three good pitchers all click at once and so forth. Mm-hmm. So Brewers at 30 to one, the Mariners, you mentioned they're 35 to one twins at 60 to one. Guardians as high as a hundred to one. Those are interesting prices to me. And um, you singled out the Mets. I'm going to be a total homer and single out the Phillies. Uh, They're not that appealing to me at most sports books, but FanDuel has them way higher than the rest at 55 to one. They'll be among the most improved post-deadline teams just by getting Bryce Harper back. Um, Mm. Plus Gene Segura is coming back too. They picked up Syndergaard and David Robertson. They basically have two A-level starters and two B-level starters, and yeah. they have a soft schedule the rest of the way to help them grab that last wild card spot. I don't expect them to win the World Series, but fifty-five to one is a nice price.
0: I, I actually agree. They they have some talent there, and uh, their bullpen is actually pretty good now, and that's shocking. And they've been—it's like they're running with weights for the last several years, where the bullpen just crushes them. Yes. And if they knock those weights off and they can just run without being dragged down by anything, they could be interesting.
1: Yeah, Um, I'm also uh, I'm really kicking myself for not in real life betting judge for MVP a week or so ago. I kind of had an inkling that at even money, uh, you know, maybe maybe it was more like nine days ago. I could still get him at even money uh, that I should have jumped on it. I didn't. Mm. uh, I did pounce, however, on Austin Riley for NL MVP when he was still plus a thousand. And he's now plus 400, which I realize that goes against your Goldschmidt bankroll bet. But uh, it's a little Mm. bit of a a real life financial (laughs) hedge, I, I suppose, there. Um, and last thing I, I, you know, we mentioned the Watson suspension. I'll uh, point our listeners toward an opinion piece on sports handle by our colleague, Jeff Edelstein, comparing Watson's suspension with Calvin Ridley's yeah. and making the case that yes, what Watson is accused of doing is way worse as a real life violation. But what Ridley did is worse for football, or at least could be worse for football, if not stiffly punished. So uh, interesting column there from Jeff.
0: Yeah. And I just wonder though, Oh my God! If an NFL player bets on a game, that's going to ruin the sport that we are sponsors. You know, we have our or some of our key sponsors now are gambling companies. We love gambling. Now I understand the again the philosophical issue here, but you know I don't think fans of the NFL are that panicky about gambling. And while they probably don't object to this guy getting suspended in some severe trouble. I don't think they're they're considering stopping following the NFL because oh my God Ridley this I, that seems like a bit of an overplay. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a good point. I I think the NFL is at us at a point with its popularity where there's nothing that could get. 90% yeah. of its fans to stop <laughs> watching you know exactly. I, I, during when the concussion stuff was first starting to become a big deal some people mm-hmm. were saying I'll never watch again some people you know Colin Kaepernick <laughs> kneeling I'm never going to watch an NFL game yeah. people are not going away people continue to watch the mm-hmm. NFL regardless of uh, of anything and I think you're right that that uh, one minor gambling scandal and this isn't even that this is just a, pun- a punishment to avoid the possibility of a future gambling scandal um, I, I don't think I think you're you're right that it probably won't drive away too many viewers
0: yeah they're like a restaurant where the food is so good that no matter how bad the service is, people keep coming yep
1: yep great analogy
0: it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling let's get to the gamble on interview
1: There are a lot of people who think fantasy football season begins in September, but that isn't how it works these days. If you play on underdog fantasy, your fantasy football season has been going on for several months already. Underdog is known for its best ball drafts, where unlike your traditional leagues, you draft your team and then you don't have to do anything the rest of the season. Your higher scores each week count, your lower ones are thrown out. So even though it's not quite football season yet, We are in the heart of underdog season, and joining us now to discuss the growth of underdog and best ball and more is underdog communications director Nick Redman. Nick, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks, Eric. Happy to be here. So I believe this is the third football season for underdog. Is is, is that right? It is. We are entering our third football season, yep. Okay, so describe what the growth has been like. How much bigger is this season than last season in terms of participation, how quickly large field competitions are filling up, etc.? And, and what do you credit most for the growth? What's been the key to expanding the audience? For sure. Uh, I'll even take it a little further back than that and
2: start with the, with our first season. Uh, you know, we founded in March 2020, uh, you know, right, right at the beginning of the pandemic. We launched our first product uh, with Best Ball Mania 1, which was a $1 million prize pool. We launched that July 17th, 2020. So just over two years ago. Okay. Um, we did not fill that tournament. I think we got to 79%. Uh, we spent no marketing dollars. We had no sign up offer. There's no, you know, sign up now, get a free thousand uh, dollars, like you see on a lot of ads. There's nothing except for a huge gap in the market to offer this game that people love. And, you know, Best Ball Mania 2 last year. We were very ambitious with the three and a half million dollar prize pool. So, you know, three and a half times bigger than the previous year. And we filled that perfectly. And and by perfectly, I mean uh, a couple hours before kickoff. Uh, It was sizing these things. Uh, We would rather not fill it than fill too early. Uh, We don't want to leave any meat on the boat. Uh, We want people to be able to draft all the way up until kickoff. Uh, And then this year, uh, we're really pushing it sort of as far as we can while being uh, financially responsible, and also really what the game and the format even allows. Going bigger than this gets a little complicated. You have to get pretty radical with the format of the game. And Best Ball Mania 3 this year is a $10 million prize pool. Uh, I would say right now we are not on pace to fill, uh, but August is insane. And you, you have to sort of rely on this parabolic growth at the end of August, it's very hard to project. So we very well may fill. Um, we're going to find out in the next, you know, 35 days here. And yeah, you. so that's the growth of the tournaments. Users-wise, uh, you know, we don't say uh, publicly how many users we have, but uh, we are, you know, in order of magnitude bigger than we were last summer. We've grown quite a bit.
1: And as far as what you would most attribute that growth to, is it just sort of the natural build of word of mouth of, of it going well, or is there more to it than that? So I think word of mouth
2: is sort of the most powerful thing and something that, that we value a lot. Uh, we deeply care about our community, uh, and, and we want those people to be evangelists for us. And that's not just users, but that's also marketing partners. And we work really closely with our marketing partners to sort of tailor our messaging and work with their communities to have it be something they're interested in and our games really allow for a lot of community engagement so like you know you can be in a season-long fantasy football league with your favorite youtuber without that you and that youtuber can do that for a hundred thousand people uh mm. because there's no management in the game it still feels very intimate it still is very intimate to be in this league with this person that you you know look up to or look to for advice for all 18 weeks of the nfl season um and yeah, just pretty creative marketing. Uh, we, we try to compete in places where our competitors are not. Uh, we will go outside the bounds of just a fantasy football audience uh, and really just work closely with our partners to tailor the messaging to their audience. But I do think it, it, it does help that we are really the, you know, DraftKings does offer best ball, but we are, I feel pretty comfortable saying, it, and no disrespect to DraftKings, uh, we are known as the home of best ball. So, you know, if anyone's heard of best ball, which millions
0: and millions of people have not, um, they know to play it here. Yeah, Nicholas, can you fill in a blank for me that I have, which I think a lot of the audience would have. You know, we know of fantasy football players as the uh, either – the casual player he's in with his family and friends. He's got one team. He starts uh, either. He starts scouting, you know, two days before his draft, or he just go looks at ESPN and practically gets auto-picked and that's it for him. And then there's the fanatic side to me where they're in six, eight, 10 leagues and they're constantly tinkering. They're spending hours and hours a week and all that. And on the one hand, that's the group I'm thinking would do this, except here you, you make, you pick your team uh, before the season, uh, or a lot of teams, and then that's it. You don't you don't get to tinker during the season. So, so who is your customer then?
2: So I'd say yes. The game is for the casual user. the mm-hmm. the, the game is absolutely perfect for people that either don't have the time or have aged out of the very hardcore nature of some fantasy football league. Uh, and what it really allows is what we think the best part of the fantasy football season is is the draft. And it lets you do it a thousand times because you don't have to manage it. So what I would say is that our user base, especially in year one and still now, is quite fanatical. These people still have 5, 10, 15 managed season-long leagues, and they sort of play best ball to scratch their itch in the offseason. Uh, It is our job to get casual people that have never heard of this game playing this game, because it's actually better for – I mean, it's a great game for everybody, but, like, it's better for casual users – because they don't have to do anything, you know? Uh, whereas the hardcore user is just so obsessed that even though this is a, a, a fairly simple game, uh, one, they have found ways to make it not simple in the off <laughs> Like the level of grinding they do to find an edge and strategize and poring over the details of the format of the tournament, you know, three of 12 advanced this round and then one of six advanced that round. Well, that round's on week 15 and Debo Samuel plays versus that guy. So while it is a simple format, uh, the hardcore users that do make up, uh, you know, a decent bit of our drafting audience, especially in when we're drafting for 2023 in February. Um, those folks love this game. Uh, but, you know, come August, we're getting lots of what I, what I would call normal people. Not that our hardcore people <laughs> are abnormal. Oh, they kind of are. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, uh, you know, we got a lot of normal people playing these days. But, you know, I'm still trying to, you know, I've worked at this I, I founding member of this of this team and i'm still trying to get my friends who love fantasy to play this game so you know adoption is we're not close uh best ball i think will be enormous we're just not there yet
0: uh, as a was the hardcore player that that some of your base too uh what do, what do they get out of it exactly that 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 brings them to it because i get i totally get the casual part that you're mentioning that you know they can just uh you know uh check in every couple of weeks. Wow. I did great two weeks ago. I didn't even notice, you know, they can do that. But the hardcore guy, what do they get out of it?
2: It's building the portfolio. It's, it's, it's from February to September, uh, what we call exposure where, you know, if I do a hundred drafts and I draft Debo Samuel 36 times, I have 36% Debo Samuel. Uh, That's very high. And, you know, I can go back at that and look at that and be very proud. Uh, You know, last year, let's say I had 30% Jonathan Taylor. Uh, I Who is the best player? I can yeah. go back in that and sort of say, like, I, I get my ego scratched being like, you know, I had 30% Jonathan Taylor. I knew he'd be great. Uh, I nailed it. So, I you know, I personally am always thinking about the I called it angle. Like, yes, this is about this. These games are for money. I think I, I really think of money as just the tool to bring out the emotions that fantasy football, you know, what makes ball so great. And it, it is that I called it. It's that pride. It's that ego. It's being right. Uh, and, and money is just a tool to sort of power that up.
1: Hmm. You said a moment ago that best ball has the potential to get huge. Does it have the potential to eventually take over a, as the dominant form of season long fantasy over the, the more traditional approach that, that we all know? And, and, and if so, how far away would you say that is before it could potentially take over as the dominant form?
2: I think it could on sort of volume of play and maybe industry or business uh, because, you know, a managed league, you could never do a $10 million tournament the way they are doing now. Like you're never going to get 451,000 people in the same league to manage it. That it would, it's just very complicated. Even technologically that gets very complicated. Uh, what I would say is that I, I personally do not have the goal of killing season long, no, traditional season long football. I love traditional season long, uh, you know, trades, I think, are a big social thing. Like, to me, season long, managed season-long is still an amazing way to stay in touch with people. Uh, again, the, the trades things or getting someone on the waiver wire that you, your friend really wanted, those emotions of fantasy football, those don't come from best ball. Uh, and, you know, we definitely don't want to sink what sort of started fantasy, which is, which is tr- traditional season-long. But that said, best ball is a much better business. Uh, you know, there, there's no one doing, you know, Sleeper does a great job with traditional season long as, as a business. Uh, but that, that's really it. Um, and it just can't really scale the way that this came.
1: Right. So so I'm curious about you personally as a fantasy player. You obviously you love best ball and you love season long traditional managed leagues. Are you also a DFS guy? Do you do it all?
2: I'm not a DFS guy. Uh, okay. And, you know, I'm 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 a fairly casual user. I would say that with best ball, uh, we can only play internally and right. we've only now hit a size that we can really effectively play internally. You know, got 160 people I can play with now, okay. uh, two years ago, it was like 20. Um, so to fill a 12 person draft in the middle of the day, the company basically stopped. Um, <laughs> now we, we can do drafts, uh, pretty consistently, uh, with a good group of people. So I'm playing more best ball this year than I ever have before. Uh, and it's been it's been really fun. I am only in one season long managed league. I've been in it since about 13 years old uh, with our, our our founder and chairman Jeremy Levine. Uh, it's very competitive. Uh, that league I hope lasts decades more.
0: OK, I, I want to ask you, I think it's generally understood by this audience that a slight majority of states allow legal sports betting. I think it's probably not that well understood that not all 50 states actually allow daily fantasy sports like mean, most of them do, but not quite all. And there's a couple of quirks uh, states where one one and not the other. And so I'm wondering, is this uh, offering of yours of legal in all 50 states? And, and what's the dividing line of you're having people risk money to win money? And is there any legality, you're concerned about that? Um,
2: I would, fantasy feels like pretty settled law. I, I'm not worried about us losing access to any states. Um, you know, it happens um, for various sort of complicated in the weeds reason. It's like, I really can't even begin. It, it gets really complicated. It partnership with land-based casinos and there's only so many of them. Um, but no, we are in, I think, 41 states uh, where you can draft uh, we feel very comfortable and happy in those states. We love these 41 states. Yeah. Uh, there are only two states we do not operate in that we could. Uh, people don't like to hear this. It is a financial decision. Uh, operating in Iowa and Delaware, just doesn't make sense for us. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. I, we try to be honest where we can. Like, I don't want a lot of people in Iowa and Delaware. We could be there, but it just it's not a good deal for us. Right. Um, and we also have a, a pick 'em game, which it, which is not drafting. This is this is predicting. Uh, player outcomes on a stat, like if they're going to score more than 250 yards or less than 250 yards, and you put that in a grouping with a few other predictions. uh, And that is a little tighter. I think that's in 20-some states. uh, And that is such a new game that those things are changing fairly frequently. And we just roll with the punches. Regulars have been super cool to us. We play it right down the middle uh, with regards to what we can and can't offer
0: but uh, the, the, the rules and the laws are pretty generous. Uh, we, can, we can offer some pretty fun games. Uh, one other thing is, uh, could there be an underdog sportsbook in the future or is there really no point to that? Uh, underdog will offer licensed betting games. Uh, I don't want to use the word
2: sports book because yeah. we try to do everything different. Uh, yeah. Even just different for the sake of being different. Uh, I think when people think fantasy, they think DraftKings, they think FanDuel. I do not think that... While those companies are amazing businesses, I have a ton of respect for those companies. I don't know if it's the friendliest brand. You know, it's been around for a long time. And a lot of stuff has happened. People have history with those brands. We want to do things differently every single place we can, from the from the words you read in the app, like the copy in the About Us section, uh, to how the game is operated, to what games we offer. And we will take that same mentality to license sports betting. Uh, I do not think our emphasis will be on something as simple as Patriots minus seven or a total of 58 points scored in Falcons Chiefs. Uh, it'll be a little more creative.
1: I'm curious on, uh, to drill down just specifically on one of the things that you had said just about like the Delawares and the Iowas. Um, if, I, if I live in Delaware, does my mailing address matter in the sense that like if I drive to Pennsylvania, I can draft? It doesn't matter that that, that my address is Delaware. It's just where I'm located when I draft.
2: Right. If you live in okay. Delaware, uh, you know, going to Maryland, it might be like going to Vegas uh, in terms of gambling. <laughs> right. um, so, yeah, you, you can go to another state where you operate and do a draft.
1: OK, that's what I figured, but just wanted to be sure. So uh, our Delawareans and Iowans who are listening don't feel Northern. totally left out. We have
2: people that drive hours uh, to go draft, especially like when we, when we used to not be in Missouri. It took us a while to get all this access. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd have people driving all over the place to do drafts and they'll go drive right over the border park in a parking lot and they'll sit there for hours just hammering drafts and go home
1: all right well uh, it's been uh, really great chatting with you Nick I'll, I'll give out uh, your Twitter handles for anyone listening who wants to follow you you're at at the Nick Rudman and also of course uh, underdog is at underdog fantasy thanks so much for coming on the podcast and uh, good luck uh, beating your co-workers in all of the various best ball tournaments this thank year. you guys I'm gonna get them <laughs> all right thanks so much
0: two men two men Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
1: Let's update our betting bankroll. And it was an interesting week. I had a winning week. John had a winning week. Combined, we had a winning week. But we both whiffed on the respective sports we consider ourselves to have the most (sighs) expertise in. Uh, On my side, I took plus 160 boxing underdog Adam Kovnachki to win, thinking the odds makers had the wrong fighter favored but they actually had it just right as Kovnatchee lost by close decision. So we lost $50 on that, mm. but I placed three bets on Phillies players to hit homers in last Thursday's game. And one of them, Kyle Schwarber did. So we won hundred dollars on Schwarber's Homer while we lost $20 on Derek Hall, not homering. He hit one about two thirds of the way up the wall in the first inning, but couldn't quite get there. So we lost $20 on him and we lost another 15 on Bryson Stott, not homering. All told, we won a modest $15 on my bets. <laughs> on your side of the ledger, John, you went 0-3 for 3 on golf. Uh, Cameron Young to win outright at plus 1,700 came very close as he finished tied for second, but ultimately cost us 10 bucks. While Riley and Tringali for the top 20 at plus 180 both missed. But... You remained red hot on off-brand professional football with a second straight winning CFL bet the BC Lions covered and you bet it big for a $150 win. So you finished $40 ahead on the week combined. We finished up 55 bucks. We're chipping away. We're now down by $2,876. One of our futures bets got voided. The Paul Rockman fight was canceled. So that $50 wager goes back into the bankroll. We now have $1,060 on hold in futures bets. So we're left with $6,064 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And it's my turn to take a shot at some off-brand professional football. Uh Maybe I should have left this to you, John, but uh, I'm (laughs) betting on NFL preseason, specifically the first preseason game tonight, the Hall of Fame game in Canton, site of the USFL playoffs. It's the Jags against the Raiders. And I'm not picking a winner here. Rather, I'm betting the under on points. I'll admit... I've missed the best opportunity to bet this. It opened at 33 and a half and has come all the way down to 30 and a half. If I was a true sharp, I would have jumped on this on our first podcast after the line came out. Still, I think the under remains the right side. Offenses always look rough early in the preseason, and this is as early as it gets. Five of the last eight Hall of Fame games have seen 30 or fewer points scored. Small sample size and only a small edge five out of eight, but still, Those numbers suggest the under at minus 110 has value if indeed it's going to hit five out of every eight times. But looking not just at a small sample size trend, but rather at this specific game, we have new coaching staffs on both sides. Again, bad for offensive effectiveness. And the Jags have announced that Trevor Lawrence isn't playing, nor is Travis Etienne. Jags backup quarterback C.J. Bethard is also out with a groin injury, so we're probably looking at a mix of Jake Luton and Kyle Sloter under center. (laughs) I will be sure not to watch a minute of this, but I will check the scoreboard occasionally and hope to see small numbers as we risk $110 to win 100 under 30 and a half points.
0: Yeah, I was going to say I cannot ever imagine watching the Hall of Fame game, no. but watching it while you bet the under thirty point. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, you know, you gotta you gotta know every detail about each punter and yep. just you know <laughs> focus on them and. uh Oh, God, please. But hey, a win's a win, right? All the money's just as green. Right. Uh, Now, my young bet last weekend is a perfect example of an amateur gambler who knows enough about a sport, but doesn't apply it to a proper bet. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the very short odds for young as a top 20. I felt it was just as likely that he would lose his mental focus in a grueling stretch of golf, even for a, well, young guy. Uh, But with a so-so field, I figured if he was on, he might win. Well, this is Young's fifth runner-up finish in his winless rookie season. So I could have and should have got a nice number on young top five, Mm. which was the proper play. Anyway, uh, only one week left before three weeks of PGA Tour playoff events. So you have a ton of mid-level players having off years scrambling to stay in or getting into the top 125. And that's the first week of the playoffs. Uh, Motivation of each bigger name, though, is a challenge to read. Why are they here anyway? So I like a couple of veterans who had not overbooked themselves this summer. So they're pretty fresh. Uh, One is Englishman Tyrrell Hatton, 50 units at plus 140 for a top 20. And also South African veteran Adam Scott for 50 units at plus 150. Okay. Also top 20. Yes.
1: Okay. Um, So since I've had success with my home run bets, I'm going back to that. And I have two I like today. Uh, One is Old Faithful, Kyle Schwarber. Uh, The odds aren't great today, but there's a reason for that. I shopped around. He's as low as plus 160 to hit a homer. I did find plus 200 at FanDuel for Schwarber to homer at home against the Nationals and Paolo Espino, against whom Schwarber has homered twice in six career at-bats. That's, That's why funny. the number is so low. Uh Schwarber's also on a two-game homer list drought, so he's due. Uh, so let's bet a mere $35 to win $70 on him. And then there's Brandon Drury, who hit a grand slam on the first pitch he saw as a Padre yesterday. He's obviously feeling it. He's up against Colorado lefty Kyle Freeland today. Good matchup for him. And we get much better odds on Drury than on Schwarber, plus 450 at points bet. So let's bet $20 to win 90 on Drury. And lastly, not a home run bet, um, but how can you not love those two teams today? Uh, Padres at home with Musgrove on the mound against the Rockies. And Phillies at home in Cindergård's debut against the Nats. They're both big favorites. Let's live a little. Let's parlay them together. Phils and Padres, both to win today, comes out to minus 105 at DraftKings. So let's bet $63 to win 60 that they both win today.
0: All right. And I know you're all waiting for my CFL pick, of course. Yes. Um, Four games on a slate as usual, and I like the Calgary Stampeders, 165 to win 150, minus five points as they run roughshod over the Ottawa Red Blacks defense. The Red Blacks won their first game of the season last week, and I like going against that sort of team. And the same way, I don't like the unbeaten Winnipeg Blue Bombers who escaped with a win barely over the Stampeders last week. You know, if you haven't won yet, you're hungry to win. You haven't lost yet. You're having a hard time convincing yourself you're not really that good so i'm staying away from the blue bombers this week but i am going against the red blacks
1: okay so my my instinct is all right john's been hot with this i should go back (laughs) this up with a bet in real life but if i do that since i haven't done it the last two weeks Mm -hmm. if i do that now i jinx you probably right so i shouldn't i shouldn't do it right
0: yeah not yet i'm not yeah maybe maybe next week if i win again
1: Okay. All right. Uh, and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Nick Rudman. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow us bets at us underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple podcast, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out.
0: Yeah, so I showed up at the Saudi-backed Live Golf at Trump National Bedminster on Friday, so you didn't have to. Uh, And I mean you in general. (laughs) And I wrote a story for NJOnlineGambling.com offering why New Jersey regulators should have allowed gambling on it and why they shouldn't and they didn't. Um, but ultimately, obviously, there's plenty of betting on it anyway, especially in that area, which is chock full of uh, stockbrokers, investment bankers, real estate guys, and so on. You know, they're betting at illegal sports books and offshore, and they're continuing to do it. They were probably there right amongst me while it was going on, just not telling me about it. So, my ultimate take is that while I won't be betting on it or even making a gamble on pick on it, let the market sort itself as far as live golf goes and let people do what they want, you know, different strokes for different folks. But I want to know what the wise guy, alleged comedian. He yelled out just a few feet away from me, come on, Phil, do it for the Saudi royal family right before his first tee shot. Now look, if he had a sincere bone in his body, then more power to him. But he was admonished by security and then pretended to be apologetic. No one fell for his act, and he then pretended to be upset that no one accepted his apology. Dude, this is about 50 miles from ground zero, okay? 21 years? Still way, way too soon. You try to build on your social media brand and following on the graves of 3,000 souls karma better hope it's not what they say it is pal and with that until next time gamble on